Hello, everybody. It's great to be back with the first podcast of the new year. So, happy new year, all the best, uh, and all that good stuff. Uh, the end of 2022 was rather unique in the sense that it held, from somebody in the football industry's perspective, the first ever winter FIFA World Cup. And it's a real pleasure to chat with someone who was in Qatar. Chris Roberts is the founder of CR Media Limited, a freelance camera operator for major broadcasters such as BT Sport, Sky Sport, and if I'm right in saying you were over in Qatar for Optus Sport, if that's right, Chris? That's right, yeah. Yeah, so as I say, as I mentioned shortly before, I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you, Chris. I've followed your work for a while, I've followed you on social media for a while, and I really like your approach to digital content um, and your style as a camera operator almost. So I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to, to sit down and speak with you about things. Yeah, no, nice one for having us on. And it's good to be like the first one of 2023. That's uh, that's good to, to know as well. But also, on a, like, obviously, like, looking at like who you've interviewed and stuff like that, you've interviewed some really like, you know, good guests and like sort of high level guests and stuff and people who've done well in their careers and stuff. But it's, it's like, you know, it's an honour for me then for you to ask me. <laughs> you know, to come on here, like, you know what I mean? I'm kind of like, who am I, you know what I mean, to be coming on here? But, like, yeah, no, fair, fair play to you. I like what you're doing. Like, obviously, we spoke yesterday just about, like, why you're doing this and, and like, your reasons for it and stuff. And it's, uh, I think I think it makes a lot of sense, uh, like, to anyone who, who's sort of looking to sort of push themselves out there, what you're doing is, uh, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a good move, you know? Thanks, man. I, I really appreciate that. And as I say, your journey, as will will touch on shortly has been a, a real sort of inspiring one to, to hear about but I want to start things off by discussing your experience of the World Cup which as we know was under intense scrutiny for many off-field reasons but it went above and beyond in terms of the sport on display and and delivered on some truly incredible moments. Um, attending a World Cup finals is pinnacle of football for athletes and those that work in the industry alike so as a whole when you reflect on it now how did you find your time over there I mean it, it seems sort of like come and gone really quick do you know what I mean and, I, and as I with these things you kind of do it and then they're just like they're just gone and then you're like kind of on to the next thing um but like for me it was amazing just to get the opportunity to go i did originally get the opportunity to go in the group stages but it didn't really make sense for me to go at that time given how much work i had uh, in domestically at the time but the opportunity then came in december where it was a little bit quieter domestically so i took that opportunity with optus um it, there was a couple of things here really, like obviously traveling like and go even just for myself traveling and being away for three weeks and being away from my family you know, even down to like shipping me kids across, you know, sorting out the carne, sorting out like, you know, just a carne, by the way, is like something that you've got to do if but you like you take your kit, your camera, your tripods, you know, your live views, all that type of stuff. So the paperwork and get your visa sorted, you have to have like a hire card, the accreditation, just all that stuff for me, that was quite new. Like obviously I'm used to like doing it domestically, but it's all easier when you're doing it from home when you're traveling there's a lot more paperwork to go through so that i found like initially quite overwhelming quite daunting actually in terms of sorting out now 
there's people that I know who travel all the time, and this it sort of becomes like second nature. And the next time I do it, it'll be a lot easier. Uh, but initially, that was like my first thought about going over and it just it just being quite overwhelming. I've got the right kit, I've got the right accreditation. You know, is it, uh, like the international driver's license has that been signed properly? All this type of stuff. Um, just making sure you haven't missed anything. Um, so, so that that was initially like my, my first experience of obviously doing that. But being over there, uh, it was great. There was obviously a lot, a lot of negative like press going over. I didn't pay too much attention to that, if I'm going to be honest. Um, I just think like a lot of that type of stuff is like you know the media like they do it all the time. They just make news and they just want to you know write headlines and stuff. So I was just generally just didn't pay too much attention. But when I went out there. I didn't get that vibe at all of any like negativity and everything was really positive. Um and I loved it to be honest. I loved every minute of it. It was um it, it was a, an amazing experience from start to finish, just like going through that whole process. And obviously then like finishing off by like, actually going the World Cup final, uh, which was and I, and I kind of went there as a fan as well. It was working the World Cup final before before we actually went the game, and then I was working afterwards as well. But actually, during the final, I was just there as a fan. So it was really, like, topped off um, by by going that game. And, yeah, it was just an amazing experience all round, really. Nice. So you saw the 3-3 between Argentina and, and France and the Nazi shoes out, yeah? Yeah, and oh. it was mad, really, because I got a ticket, like, last minute for it as well. Uh, the guy I was working with, he's sort of like part of the FIFA family. He could get tickets for himself, but like he was struggling getting additional tickets. So look, we've got to sort this. So I ended up just basically tagging on along with him when he went to get his ticket. So I just turned up randomly. Um, you know, it was just kind of as you do. Like I was just trying to blag it really. And then I got to the place and it was like a six-star hotel, or like a five-star hotel, whatever. It was like a mad hotel there in Dower. And I uh, got in there and it was just like this like black tie event. It felt so out of place. <laughs> had, like uh, like Cafu was there, uh, Ronaldinho and all them were there. It was just like, where am I here? But anyway, when we got to the when we got to the ticket office, uh, the guy said, Yeah, there's two tickets there. Like, so he sorted me out literally last minute. The next thing I was on a bus going to the ground. And I was there at the match, man. I was just like, what is going on here? But um, yeah, so that was one of those sort of bucket list things. But just aside, like from sort of that like that that was a, a bonus to the work but the work was great as well the actual like doing the job mm-hmm. getting to go to you know obviously the press conferences where like you've got like the world's media there like i don't know sort of how many like press conferences you've been to like domestically whether it be like a football or boxing but if you imagine what it would be like here i'd say if you, if you have done that before it's like times 50 over there like being like the amount of like international media and international attention these events get is just like yeah on another scale on another level and it was great to be around that buzz as I get the chance to like speak to different people from different countries and what they're doing their ideas and just from the networking side it was great um but yeah just being at the press conferences training sessions you know just being like stone throw away from like the likes of Messi and getting to film people like that it was pretty surreal really uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll say I loved, loved every minute of it, like. Yeah, and I, I'd imagine having, you know, my dad went to the, the 2006 World Cup in, in Berlin as a fan, um, well, in Germany as a fan, and went to the final in Berlin, and I've, I know people in the media that have covered World Cups in the past, um, and, and somebody mentioned to me that 
we rarely get to see um, a, a host nation put on its best front or its best face almost. So everything is almost sort of amplified and accommodating. Um, you, you touched on it a little bit there, but what was the what was the setup like in a place like Qatar for a, a traveling member of the media? So the setup, right? So everything that they could they could do, like they could pay for, they did. So everything in that regard was perfect. Like the media center, uh, the transport, anything that they could buy with money, it was done and it was done well. Like even just like little things like you go into the press conference and like the press conference would be in Spanish and you get someone saying, Oh, give us, you know, your 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 XLR cables and we'll feed you into like an English translation one. So like your English translation was going directly into your camera while you were filming it. You didn't have to sync it up and post. Loads of stuff like that was just like really sort of like it was great. But then there were certain frustrations where like, you know, stuff that you can't like you can't basically stuff you can't buy, uh, and stuff that only really comes with experience. So if you were to run a World Cup in I don't know, like Germany, like you said, or in England or wherever in France, places that have you know football games every single week, Champions League games every single week, big events all the time, ninety, hundred thousand people saying up for matches. Like there's like, oh, what's the word? Like, but there's there's. I don't know, there's like workflows and, and, and people people know what they're doing in terms of the people on the ground. Like they're used to it, like the steward. I mean, the steward is not always the best, to be fair, domestically, but it, it's people are kind of experienced at doing these things. When you went in Qatar, sometimes you ask someone for like advice or where to go or where you pick up your tickets or where you, you, you go into a media centre or something, and they just wouldn't know. And it was little things like that over like the course of like two or three weeks that became a bit frustrating actually that the people on the ground really didn't really know exactly what was going on. But there was a lot of them everywhere, you know, whether it be like police or stewards or whatever. Um, but that that's just experience though. That's because they've never done a big event. That's just the way I I seen it anyway. Um, but as far as the event was like run. I can't I can't complain about it at all. It was like it was it was really good and it was really welcoming as well. Um it was just like little things, little tiny things that like you may take for granted that that would sort of come up and it would it would be a bit frustrating. That was probably the only thing. Yeah, I, I can understand that. And like you say, if the host nation, if that's something that they're not used to doing almost running sporting operations or running sporting events as i should say regularly uh, like you highlighted there it's just just an experience thing which i'm sure the more sporting events that they do host which it seems to be on the up in the in the middle east that a lot of sporting events are taking place in the middle east the more experience that uh, they will gain uh, and and hopefully the smoother those events will run i mean you touched on it a little bit in that the, the events that you cover domestically um, I never rem- remember correctly from our conversation yesterday. You told me that football wasn't the first sport that you covered. It was no the boxing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I I started doing this through uh, boxing. Basically, I, I was sort of what started for me. So I was sort of doing like video and like photography at the time, mainly actually photography, um, and. 
I was just taking sort of ra- like random photos really of like you know city landscapes, all that type of stuff. Um, uh, and I mean, this has gone back to sort of several years, but there was a lad locally who reached out to me or liked that he actually just liked one of my posts. Um, and I reached out to him, so I'll see you like this post, you know, and I seen you a pro boxer due to make your debut. Do you want any photos and videos doing? He went for it. I, I then met him, did some photos, uh, and then it kind of went from there. He, he really liked them. They came out really well. And then, obviously, then you start, like, sending them to other fighters. Oh, I've done, I've done these photos uh, with such and such. It's like, his name is Jake Barton, actually. I'm still in touch with him now. Really nice lad. And he sort of progressed in his career as well, which, which has been great. But then you send it to other fighters, and then they sort of see what you do. And then you sort of kick on from there. And then I sort of found myself around sort of small hall shows, taking, you know, photos and doing videos. Um, from that, but then obviously at the small all shows, you know, you, occasionally you'll get like the likes of like Box Box Nation who is barely sort of going anymore, but like they'll be there and then BT might turn up or you'll get someone who's connected to one of like the media outlets. And just from there, I was able to sort of network my, my way through. So predominantly really in the first sort of couple of years, boxing was what I focused on. Um, and that's where, where I sort of sat. I'm trying to actually move more and more, not away from it, but diversify myself as much as possible, hence going sort of the World Cup, doing more football, doing more UFC, doing more cricket and stuff like that, being more rounded in sports. Um, but that's sort of how it happened. That's how I sort of ended up being in, in boxing. And for a good few years, I was doing predominantly boxing, which is an amazing industry to be in, by the way, because... It's quite like it's a bit like the Wild West in a sense. Like it's not like any any other. Like you go to the World Cup or you go to a Premier League game, and like everything's like accreditation. Everything's quite official. Where in boxing, like you can basically turn up at most people's gyms and like they would accommodate you, providing you weren't like an idiot or whatever. Like most of them are, are very accessible. Um, you know, like you say, say for example, like a Liam Smith who's fighting like Chris Eubank in, in next week. Like, obviously, he couldn't go to the gym, the gym now. He's like, you know, fighting next week. But generally, you could reach out to me on Instagram. You could go down to the gym. You could speak to his trainer, and you could probably get access to do some work with him at some point. It's really accessible, um, and that's what I found. It was like a real benefit to sort of be in that industry, get that experience, and work with high-level athletes. So, again, then you sort of start to find yourself working with the likes like Tyson Fury and people like that. And it's like, yeah, it's amazing just experience to be around those people, working with those people, creating content with those people. And that really gave me the basis then to sort of move on to other sports, which um, which kind of I have done, and particularly in the last two years. That's, that's an, a sentiment I can certainly echo in that. I am certainly hoping over the next couple of years in my career to branch out maybe into the likes of boxing and, and UFC and, and different sports. Obviously I've got a niche in football, but I can understand certainly why you'd want to do that. I mean, you talked about how one of the key differences between football and the example of boxing is that sort of official accreditation aspect of it. Um, in terms of you as a camera operator handling equipment within the workspace, obviously the different setups, for example, if you're covering like a, a local, local boxing show, it would be a, condensed small hall area where you know it might be hard to get about in but what are some of the other differences when it comes to covering different sports as a camera operator 
big, biggest thing is like, and, and quite often this is always always the case. I mean, like, I know the points I make now. So there's like, you can you can learn to operate a camera. Do you know what I mean? Anyone anyone can kind of get there and learn it. It's not rocket science. There's certain things you need to know, and obviously more practice the better you get. But it's not rocket science. You know, I always say that to people. Like a lot of it, like in terms of like the challenges, then when you face once you know your sort of gear, is then logistically. Like knowing like how things work in like in a football match or in a boxing match or in a weigh-in, what you can do, what you can't do, um, how to get your kit up like a gantry at like some League One club. Like sometimes like you know, you're carrying like, I don't know, sort of 30, 30 kilograms of kit and you're you're like literally like honestly pulling your stuff up a gantry like to get on you know where like the commentary platform is yeah. and stuff like that it's like you just got to know sort of like little little things like that and you don't want to be like a rabbit in the headlights when you get there and you you don't really know where to stand where you can go what you can get away with and and there's other things like the, like just little things like you go from working all these indoor events and then all of a sudden you're doing outdoor events and like it starts lashing down with rain so then you've got a situation where yeah, you've got to have, like, your rain cover. You've got to make sure, like, your kit's watertight. It's not as easy, like, operating your kit in the rain with these water covers on. Just little things like that. Like, it's experience of, like, experience in all different conditions. And often, sometimes, you don't learn until you get caught out. So you've got to, like, go through that process of, like, getting caught out with certain things. I say, like, I'm, I'm pretty experienced at doing all this now. But as I say, there's little things that you just may not think of that, like catch it out and yeah you've just just got to go through just go through the processes but that's the probably the biggest thing i would say like logistically like you've got to kind of understand the sport and the culture like there's a lad that came in for bt not that long ago uh and he was filming the the, the weigh-in and, and that, to me that's complete bread and butter because i've done that many of them and it is bread and butter really but he had no idea like where they stood where they went did they like look at each other first? Did they even look at each other? He had no idea what it was because he'd never he'd never really paid attention to boxing, and he just sat, sort of found himself in this situation. So he knows how to operate a camera. He just doesn't know what's what. But as I say, it's not all rocket science. This it's just it's just an experience of you know the more rounded you can get, the sort of, the sort of better. But you you generally learn when you make that mistake. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So some of the fundamental aspects that I've just taken from that there is obviously learning from mistakes. I can attest to that. I think learning from mistakes is massive. You're not, you're not going to be perfect. You are going to have to learn from mistakes at different points of your career. I can definitely um, sort of agree with that. Um, the experience and repetition, like it's just like reps, basically. You know, yeah. Use the sort of example of being in a gym, you want to build muscle, rep repetitions, repeated movements, doing things over and over again, the easier they become. Um, so yeah. that is also true. And just on that little anecdote of being inexperienced in a certain workplace or environment, particularly in a sporting workplace or a sporting event, could you then say, especially if you want to work within the sports media landscape, that just a fundamental understanding and knowledge of the sport what happens at certain events is key so just sort of code of conduct reasons 
it it it, it is key. It, it really is. so so for that it's 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 key for that reason. Just sort of understanding like the culture of where you're going and where 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 to be that type of stuff. Like you know what I mean. You wouldn't turn up at a Premier League match and just wander on the pitch. You know what I mean? Where like a a boxing event, you can like you know you get away sort of standing on the edge of the ring. But it's like yeah, so so stuff like that. You just gotta you just gotta be careful. Um, but I think as well, it it helps. You know, I'm gonna be an expert, but it helps understanding the sport as well. So I was always into boxing. So I used to go to boxing shows all the time. I used to like I went went to. Uh, Tyson Fury Klitschko was a fan in Germany I used to go watch Carl Froch over in Nottingham so I knew I knew boxing I was like what I knew so even when I was reaching out to me the original guy going back to the very start of when I started and I was taking uh, pictures of the uh, guy making his pro debut like I knew it I could speak to him on that level yeah. and that transcends all the way up even when you're at like uh, a Sky or a BT you, you know you know the game you know who's who See, I'm going to be an expert. There's people I know well more than boxing about me than me, but it does help if you can just talk that that language, if you like, and it helps again with like you know you, you mentioned on the phone, you you, you, know, you sports Everton, you follow football. It just helps that you know that culture. Like like I, mean, I say, it's not a whole like because I've done cricket. I know nothing about cricket. Um, I don't know massive amounts about UFC, but I've sort of done UFC. It's not like you have to, but you have to have an appreciation. And one of the biggest things I think that I love about what I do, particularly in sports, is I respect the sports people so much, like how much they dedicate like their lives to like everything they do. You, you hear it all the time about like people saying, oh, this guy's such and such, or this guy's such and such, you know, like fans on the side. But you know when you, you sit down with people and you get to know them, you realise how much dedication like they put into stuff, and it's like I just respect that by default. They're just and people, that, and that, yeah, they are just people, but they're so driven, like yeah. they're so focused, and the young, the young men and women. So they're not like people like me who are like forty or like you know what I mean, like don't go out anymore anyway. Like they're in a situation where like all their mates are going out. And they're like in the prime of the life, 21, like making loads of sacrifices to just be in the gym and stuff or to train, even younger sometimes. So I've just got a lot of respect. And especially the longer they go in the sport, you know, the the, 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 hot, the harder it is to maintain yourself at the top level. Um, and yeah, I just I just respect them by default. So that that helps me when I'm speaking to them and I'm dealing with them, do you know what I mean? It just 100%. like I don't have to I don't have to act anyway, do you know what I mean? I just like you know what I mean, it just it just way I, I like I like being around people like that. And um yeah, it just it just works. So that helps. I think if you were to go into it and you weren't asked about sport, you didn't watch sports, you didn't have like Sky Sports News on, or you weren't like asked about stuff like that. I just don't think you'd be that bothered, do you know what I mean? And I just don't think it'd work. Personally, so yeah, I think you've got to be whatever you do, whether that be sport or or you can do like weddings and not everything about that, everything about that culture. There's nothing wrong with that, but I would just recommend that whatever you do, you 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 do know about it and you you you're passionate about it. Actually, that's that's one of the things. Just a, a separate story on that. Surely, uh, if you're waffling on, no worries. When I when I very first started, 
I got a job doing something for RBS um, up in Manchester. And before I kind of started doing the video side of things, I was I had like a corporate job for a long time working in an office and stuff like that. And I did got this job filming at the RBS head office and I got in there and it was just like, I was basically filming a place where I used to work in that same culture. And I just thought to myself, like, if I'm going to do this, I'm not going to film anything like this. I, I need to, I said, there's nothing wrong with filming anything like that. If that's how you make a living, like, honestly, there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I just thought I cannot leave that sort of, like, nine-to-five job and go back filming people doing nine-to-five jobs. That weren't going to happen. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of like, as I say, the, the point of getting that, like, I've, I gravitated to the boxing and the football and like everything else I've done just through the passion I have for sport. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I mean, before after this question, I, I want to talk about because you mentioned yesterday when we were speaking over the phone that you you had a sort of particular inclination and vision regarding digital content and, and podcasts and drew particular inspiration from Gary V, which I think anybody in this space has been touched by sort of the motivation of Gary V in one way yeah. or another. But one of the things I wanted to touch on, particularly you saying that in terms of wanting to make that shift into sport, do you think, I, I would always say, uh, there's just something about being from Merseyside and that sort of connection to sport that is a little bit different to anywhere else. I mean, I, I, I've been very lucky particularly last year and that I visited some amazing cities across Europe but just in terms of the sport and culture for both in particular for me combat sports and football Liverpool is is really unique in that sense would you say that is what's played a huge part in you wanting to focus on sport yeah it, it, it is very unique Steve. and if you think of like the size of the city resources that are available to the city limited resources in a lot of, a lot of instances like it really punches above its weight when it comes to sport the, pe- the, the people it produces it's always got players players playing for England at the top level it's always got boxers fighting for world titles you know for example like um, you know a, a guy I know really well uh, Nathan Heaney he's looking to become the first sort of British champion out of Stoke now you look at someone like Liam Smith He's they've had four British champions in the one house, the four brothers, you know, and it's 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 it, it, it's amazing really that that it's it, it's like it's the same with music as well, like people are just sort of inspired, like quite creative and quite and you know you know the culture of the city. I think that like bodes well for those sorts of things and people doing well in sports. Does that have an impact on me? Probably, yeah. But all all I know is like like I just grew up. Like playing footy, being a footy fan, going to boxing shows as well, and like that, you know what it's like. It's like like my, my, like my, my son's now nine, and I I always encourage him to play football and being like engaged in like you know football and sport in general. Like he does like after his after school multi sports clubs, he does footy clubs, he's in a team and all that. So it's just I think it's just part and parcel growing up here. I think it makes it, it, it like yeah. I think it, it, it definitely helps. But saying that though, there's loads of like you, you go to Manchester. It's, you know, it's the same. Like there's there's a very working class city, and yeah. like there's loads of great footballers, loads of great boxers. 
But I always just I always just feel like like Manchester Liverpool side does punch above its weight in terms of how how much it produces. Do you know what I mean? For the, like the size of the city and the resources available. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I've I've got to be honest. I I know there is a there's certainly a sporting rivalry between Liverpool and and Manchester. But I've I've got to tip me hat to Manchester as well. I lived there for three years. Went to uni there for three years and. It's another one that's sort of bursting with culture and an, an appreciation for both, as you mentioned, sport and music as well, uh, which I think is is a really in, it's a really interesting city and place to sort of submerge yourself in and sort of take yeah. everything that it, that it has to offer. Now, I, I wanted to move on. I think, I think I think I think as well, like Liverpool and Manchester as well. Actually, like people don't want wouldn't admit this, but like Liverpool and Manchester, they've actually got a lot more in common than Definitely. people would like to admit. Uh, it, it really has. Um, so yeah, they're, they're very similar in that sense. And generally, like I, I always find like Manx and Scouts always get on. Like, yeah. and I know like the football thing always creates a bit of a thing. Like, but generally, I, I that, that's that's my sort of experience of it. You know. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that, mate, one hundred percent. Now, I did want to talk about your your sort of ideas and your initial vision around podcasts and digital media that was ultimately the catalyst for the career that you have now, like you mentioned before about working in a nine to five. Um, so I, I'd just be interested to hear about that journey of, of what was the decision-making process that led you into, right, no, I'm going to complete, I'm going to sort of separate myself from this and move into the direction of pursuing my hobby and turning that into a career. Yeah, so how did this sort of happen? I guess I was quite, I guess when I very first all started coming about like the internet and social media, I guess kind of I weren't really paying that much attention to it. But the rest, I reckon I got around about sort of, I'd say I was sort of, it, it sort of I got in tune with it. It was like I started a little side business uh, many years ago, um, running like football leagues actually. Um, run them for a couple of years but while I was kind of like doing them that's actually really how I started like thinking about video and photos to like promote that business that's how so that that mindset started coming in but then you're sort of looking at like how you can promote like the business and how you can push it out there and it did it did all right yeah and they end up having leagues like um in Bromborough I won a contract with Liverpool Council. I ended up selling a business to Leisure League. So they did all right in the end. That was just like a little side hustle. That like, I kind of like weren't particularly, it was just to get a few more quid, really. Um, but I then started coming across like your likes of like your Gary V's and he he not long wrote Crush It. I think it was around, it must have been, it must have been like over 10 years ago, this. And I just, I got like what, what he was saying. It just made sense to me like for like a company to sort of take control of its like own narrative and not sort of rely on like you, you know your, your traditional sort of outlets like your your, your skies or like your I don't know your, your newspapers your echoes and stuff like that people now have the opportunity to like actually have their like own input or outputs about like their own businesses and what they were doing and share their own stories and I was quite fascinated by that it definitely I definitely got that idea. It was like, I get this totally and I can totally see where this is going. So that's really sort of what where that seed was planted. So by the time it sort of started like doing video, 
me, me sort of approach was, you know, I was looking at like companies like Frank Warren and Queensby, and, and they were doing nothing. They didn't have a YouTube channel. They didn't have a Twitter. Well, maybe had a Twitter, but like half doing it. I was like, you guys need to get on this and start, you know, pushing stuff out there. And then they slowly started seeing sort of the benefits of that. And that's really, I think, I think I was a little bit sort of ahead of the curve, but I was further ahead of the curve than some of these companies were in terms of the way they were thinking and seeing things. Now, now you look at it now and like everyone's got the YouTube channels, everyone's got the sort of um, Instagrams and everything like so it's it's well, well established. But I felt like the timing of when I sort of arrived into it, I was trying to make a career out of it. it the timing was quite good for me, actually. So it, it allowed me to get in. But I just got the concept of like pushing your own content out there. You know, it made sense to me. Yeah. I agree with that 100%. And I would go one step further in saying that I think the next stage of that digital footprint almost is I think every sport and organization or taking an example of a football club, I think they need to have podcasts as, as part of that handling and controlling their own narrative. I know sometimes, you know, you, you can have conversations like this where, they're free-flowing, they're, they're, they're open questions, they're, they're back and forth. Um, but you can almost you can still edit them down to control your narrative almost. Um, I would that's just my sort of two cents on it. I, I think podcasts are the next stage of that development. They're a form of entertainment, they're a form of, of education, they're a they're a news outlet. Um and I I, I I say this every time I get the chance. I learn, I have learned more from podcasts. Than I ever did in a classroom, and yeah, it's mad, isn't it? That and that, and that is that is that is true. Like that's that's how it how it works, because you're also probably like you're aligning yourself with things that you're interested in and people you're interested in and things that you you want to sort of move forward on, rather than just being told like a load of random stuff. But it it, it is. It's like and also what I liked about it. So when IFL first dropped. And again, this was around that time. I was like, I, I mean, I, I watch, I watch a lot less of it now because I'm just in the in the business, and you don't want to like, you know, over sort of consume it yourself. But when I was like, sort of still a fan of like boxing and like, I'm not working in it. I used to watch like every IFL video. I don't know whether you know IFL the channel with Coon and Cassie. It's the boxing yeah. channel. Um. But I, what what I was amazed at and what I noticed straight away is like the, the personalities of the fighters coming through straight away. There was no like, let's try and position this fighter like this or let's give you a tiny few quotes from the... It was just like all out there. And I think that's why like people like Tyson Fury and stuff like that have done so well. Like, because they've got such big personalities and they're not afraid of like putting it out there. I mean, I know like people have the criticisms of him, like, but his personality is so big yeah. and he's so confident in putting it out there that like I think he's really sort of benefited from this like modern day culture, if you like, of like, you know, more transparency with people. I do think football would benefit from that still, you know, from showing more transparency. They are trying to get better with it, but they do struggle with it. You know, just being more transparent. I think the players themselves are probably more transparent than the actual clubs. Mm. 
But I think they just need to show more. Need to show more personality. Because, you know, from a personal point of view, if I went and done an interview with, with, with them for Sky, for example, like, what they say is the same stuff all the time. It's stock answers, and it's just, it is, it's like, it's not, not necessarily, I've always got, like, a client to work with, but, like, the content is, it's always just very controlled. That's not necessarily from a Sky point of view. It's it's maybe the club dealing with Sky, and, you know, you'll always have a media manager. Train players always need the players in media trained, don't say this, don't say that, and it's, you don't know how to answer this. Go round, like I say it like this, right? You get a lot of that. But saying that, do you know what I mean? It's like sometimes you do get people who are a little bit more transparent, like uh, like someone like a Jack Grealish who I've worked with, and he's he's like he's crackers, you know what I mean? In terms of like his personality and like how he comes across on on screen, he gets a lot of criticism though for it. That's what I don't get. Seems to, like get a lot of like a lot of hate him, but I I think I he's all right, you know what I mean? But I don't know. That is, I, I would say that's just a that's a byproduct of the social media and digital age. Everything gets criticised. Just a yeah. and just just on a side note, you mentioned Tyson Fury, and you've also mentioned that you were a, a big boxing fan. Where for you does Tyson Fury rank in the greatest heavyweights of all time? Um, I mean, right now I think he's number one. I think he's been number one for ages. Like, no, no, no. I mean, like, if you're saying like Ali Tyson. Rocky Marciano. I, I, I think it's I think it's too hard to like sort of like say I think I mean if we stick modernish like I, I think if he's Mike Tyson do you know what I mean like that I, I do um, but I do love Mike Tyson Mike, Mike Tyson do you know what like Mike Tyson actually is somebody who uh, his content is brilliant yeah and he really sort of shows how you know he doesn't necessarily articulate himself the best but in terms of his mind like he's a great thinker. Yeah. And he's someone who's really be- he's be- he benefited from this world. Yeah, Yeah, well, when when I kind of can and when I do and when I see him, I think like you're 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 brilliant. Like, <laughs> oh, it's class, isn't it? But where where would I put Tyson Fury? Like, I don't know. Like, right, right up there. Do you know what I mean? It's hard to say though because you know that era of like Ali. You know what I mean? Ali's like six foot two, so. You know, the like Tyson Fury, I just, I just, I just don't, I don't know, just it'd be too hard. But obviously, people were like smaller back then and laid with weighed less than like 15 stone and stuff like that. Like Tyson Fury's like coming in at 18 stones, six foot seven or six foot eight or whatever. It's like, I don't know, I just don't think you can sort of compete with that like modern generation. But I do think actually someone is a problem potentially for anyone at the minute. I think Tyson Fury is number one. I think every time number one, but I think who is potentially a problem goes under the radar. Uh, Joe Joyce, I think he's a real problem for people. In like massive, like I think he beats, I think he beats everyone, maybe except Tyson Fury. But if I was Tyson Fury, I wouldn't want to fight Joe Joyce. But uh, yeah, yeah. But Joe Joyce is getting on a little bit, but he's a real problem. Oh, we certainly have. We're going through a, a decent time, especially for for, for British boxing. I would say it's and you know what it's been going like this now for a good 10 years you know if you think about like who's kind of come through like Carl Froch like the Gale and all like even like the sort of that generation sort of moving on and you know there's a lot of big sort of fights then and now it's kind of coming to the, the Joshua era 
And it, it's it's amazing, really. And I don't know whether it'll carry on, but the last the last ten years have been brilliant. And I can I've kind of benefited from that from that growth. Um, and I think it's more mainstream now boxing than it ever has been. You know. Yeah, I I would say that, but. In a sense, and I think this will be an interesting conversation to get into with you. Although you said you're not into it as much as you box, and which I, I guess I can understand. Everybody has their own preferences, but the the media strat- strategy and approach of the UFC is something that I have a lot of admiration for because how the Fatita brothers and how Dana White has essentially positioned UFC in terms of their media, uh, digital media strategy and approach how they approach every platform instagram you know twitter facebook youtube podcasts those sorts of things they have almost blown every other competitor out of the water like oftentimes people that aren't into mixed martial arts may just refer to it as ufc which it just goes to show the organization how they champion the sport almost what have your experience been experiences like of working in the mixed martial arts space UFC is unbelievable and I've done a couple of their events and they are like they run like clockwork you know that thing I was telling you before like with Qatar like everything you could buy they, they would work but it wouldn't quite run 100% theirs runs 100% like it's it's brilliant you're really well looked after all the fighters come out after the fights. They're all available, all available for questions, and they go. And the next fighter comes in. You, they provide food for you. They put the screens on in the media room. And everything. It's 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 great. Everything from like their open workouts, everything's just big. It's like a bit like a circus, though. The way they, they they travel like a circus in a sense. So they won't like, you know, they won't um, you know bring people in to sort of like. You know, they'll, they'll bring everyone with them. Like, the team, like, follows them everywhere. Do you know what I mean? And that's kind of, like, why it, like, remains so consistent and they know what they're kind of doing. Um, USC is amazing, though. From, from like, a setup and the fights they make and the narratives they do, it is brilliant. Yeah. But it's it still doesn't generate. You know, those tough fights still don't generate the money. You know, like, the Joshua fight, they still don't generate Joshua, like, money fights and stuff like that at that level. They still don't do that, but um, generally, like, there's a lot of money floating around, and it is very competitive, and it's a good model. Yeah, that uh, I was, I was just gonna say from a match make making perspective as well. I think the UFC is a different beast, to boxing almost because, as we've mentioned, you know, there are extremely talented boxers out there. But case in point being Joshua Fury, we probably should have had that five years ago. Whereas yeah, yeah. with the UFC. The best fighters fight the best fighters near enough all the time, preventing yeah, yeah. like aside from injury or any sort of ob- obstacles to get in the way. I think that's one thing that gives boxing the UFC, sorry, an advantage over sort of whether it's you know whatever, whatever sort of boxing event or organization is is in town. That's not to discredit boxing in any way because it's still, as you say, it still brings in just as much money. But even still. Yeah. Talking about the approach of, of boxing, they will um the UFC, they will put events on um timed perfectly to run with, say, for example, a Canelo fight or something. So the UFC is on then and Canelo fights on afterwards. So yeah, yeah. He wins, I, you know. Yeah, it's it's a funny one because like, you know, they always say like, well, we'll try and make like 
boxing more like the UFC and make the bigger fights, but it's so fragmented, you know, with like your divisions and your belts, uh, not your divisions, so your belt, your belts and the promoters and your broadcasters, you know, making making a Fury um, uh, Joshua fight is, is difficult. One's on the zone. Sky are going to want to be involved. BT with Tyson Fury. They've all got different promoters. Who's going to get the lion's share of the money? They go, oh, going to want a certain amount. And I know like a lot goes on in the media with like sign a contract and all this with like you know Tyson Fury. But most of it, like it's it's a very difficult, it's a difficult fight to make. That um, probably will get made at some point. But I reckon they'll probably be past the prime when it gets made. It's so it's just so political, like, but. In theory, it should just happen and they should just fight each other. But there's loads of fights like that that just don't happen because of politics. Yeah. And I, I, I guess that's that is the that is the downfall of the sport, you know. Yeah, one hundred percent. Now just to sort of shift gears back to the, the the professional aspect of it and and working within the industry as, as opposed to the, the industry itself uh, and the sport itself. One of the things I am developing a huge admiration for is freelancers that have done well for themselves. Like when I left uni, I never envisaged myself going into the freelance market, but because of the pandemic and COVID and things like that, the opportunities that have prevented themselves have just ultimately led me into being a, a freelancer in different capacities. And yeah. I'm learning so much. For example, when I'm with ITV, I go out on OBs and I'm, I'm learning more and more about the importance of the different roles and the moving parts of a broadcast, um, which, of course, include cameras and the wizards such as yourself that use them and that are behind them. Um, now, I'm, I'm one of those people that... It's a, it's a good way to describe it. You mentioned it before, almost being like a rabbit in the headlights. I've always got that growth mindset of whatever I'm put in front of, I will... I, I am a quick learner in that I will ab- apply myself 100%. But in terms of technical equipment, I know that if I was to use a camera, I'd want to use it to the best of my ability. Like I see work such as yourself and, and different broadcasters and see the quality of it. Like I'm also a huge film fan as well as alongside sports. So I look at like film directors, their specific style, their shot types, their composition of shots, you know, how, how they compose things and, I think all that combined and the respect that I have for, you know, the profession in and of itself, in, in and of itself ha- freezes me up a little bit in that I'm not a, a cameraman by trade. I know I'm still young and I could learn it and I may well be. Um, yeah. But I'd be interested to, to hear from you. What effectively drew you to the camera and how did you build your skill set to what it is today? So I started the very first thing I filmed on was my iPhone and that's and that's it and it's like you know you look at iPhones now like and they're unbelievable to be honest like the quality you get out of them but like that that's where I started it on an iPhone and mm. it's just like like learning and like you know I do like um I go on like a little like city break or something with the missus and I just film stuff and that and I just edit it when I got home and put some music to it just like and then I was just into it I just enjoyed doing it um that's like taking it right back, do you know what I mean? But then you sort of like then you just keep developing, and then I bought like a little a little tiny like Nikon camera, and then and then I bought like an A6300 Sony, and then an A7 III, and then an A7 S, and then an FX6, which I'm using now. And it just all sort of like 
it's naturally progressed because I was just into like into it really. But it is a journey, I think, to sort of say, oh, you know, it's like I, I love like looking at like certain designs and stuff, and I see people doing mad designs, but I know like I'm not gonna have like the patience to like learn how to design that type, like you know, like you know, like all these mad promo posters and stuff. I just I just wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. And I think as it's kind of like gone further on in terms of what I've realized what I'm good at. Like I'm I'm even now, like at one point I was editing as well, but now I'm moving away from that just to go further, you know, towards more just doing doing video and just being being that person. Um so I guess you can you know what you can toy with anything like video or design or anything. In this day and age, you can toy with these ideas and try them for next to nothing. Like you haven't got to go out and buy a £8,000 camera with a two and a half grand lens and a 1500 quid tripod. Like you just haven't got to spend that money to do it. You can start really, really cheap. And in fact, you can get some incredible results for not a lot of money in, in truth. You know, if you look at like, a, if you've got like an A6300, you probably pick one of them up for like, I don't know, like a few hundred quid. And you could, you could honestly, you could, you could, I, I've got a story about that actually. I, um, I had, I used to shoot an A7 3S and it broke on a shoot. And I used to, I carried the first camera, the first like proper camera I bought. I was like, you could probably get these for a few hundred quid. Uh, I used to carry it with me as a backup and I've got a dig because I did that day. So the camera broke on the shoot and I was like, I'm gonna have to run with this this camera here. And I shot on it. It weren't ideal, like. But put it this way, right? When I sent the stuff back to the clients, they didn't go. Oh, was that on an A6300? Because you know, we don't use them. Like, they didn't know, they didn't notice nothing. It was just like, oh, it's sound nice one, good job. But like, so it's not all about like the gear you've got. That's kind of the point I'm making. But don't get me wrong, like. You do, you do need good gear, like the higher up you go, you just do, like, just for like the quality, the ergonomics of the, the equipment, the reliability of it, everything like everything comes with that like high price point, you know what I mean? But to start, honestly, mate, you can, you can start like relatively cheap. Yeah, I do just take away your iPhone. That's how, if that's how you want to learn, like, honestly. And then you think, oh, maybe I want to, of like some higher level, or maybe I want to be able to grade the footage, or maybe I want to be able to like have you know some like lenses on or something like that. And that's where you start like investing in it. And you know, yeah. but I'd yeah. always just start with your iPhone. The iPhone now, them iPhones are bloody ridiculous. Like sometimes I see the footage and I think, what the hell? How long have I got left in this game? Like, you know what I mean? So I could say, yeah, that the technology is a uh, is, is going is going fast. Like, no, I agree with that hundred percent. I um. When I, when I was at uni, I, I've got a, mate, a good mate of mine, Sean, who's a, a filmmaker, who was one of the ones to give me a big kick up the ass to start this podcast, to be fair. Um, and I helped him out with a lot of his, his filmmaking assignments. It was all just shot on an iPhone. And as you say, the quality of it is is excellent, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. I, I, obviously, it has its limitations and stuff. But like, there's a lot of jobs you see people using cam, like cam ops for. I'm, I'm, I'm not against it at all. Like, and it's like, you know, there's certain things like where, for example, like if they want, it's great for social stuff. It really is. I, and even like, uh, like fight nights, I've said to like a couple of clients, like, you know, get, get the phone out. Like, you, like film fights on your phone, get a knockout, clip it up, get it out. Like, don't, don't think it's on a phone. Like it's, like it's, because 
the thing is, when something happens like a knockout, you want it out fast, faster the better. Now, obviously, if you're filming on a camera, you then got to get the card, you then got to go through the files on a card, then you've got to like edit it, then you've got to export it, then you've got to put it on the phone. There's loads of like faff that comes with having like a camera. Um, but if you've got like an iPhone, which is decent, get it, and it's just for social, get it out. The only disadvantage of using it is you're not going to get much evergreen content out of a phone. Do you know what I mean? You're not going to get content that's going to last forever. Like, I could get like a really cinematic shot of a knockout, and then that's that's a cinematic shot of a knockout that could be used on Sky, BT, like, that could be used all over the place, on TV, on cinema screens, whatever you want, you know what I mean? They're not going to use something that was filmed on a phone. Just not, just just won't. Um, so there is obviously advantages of, of filming on a camera, but like there's not normal filming on a phone, like absolutely not. Hundred percent, and especially tying into the the social media aspect of things. Like you see now, if for example, if, you know, if a goal scored or a football game, you, you know, from from um, photographers of the game, you'll see clubs and and you know, governing bodies have a social media person with an iPhone or, or a phone standing behind the goal to capture the, the goal for, yeah. for social platforms for an Instagram story for Twitter you know so yeah honestly like we did the Liverpool game uh, it must have been against I think it was against Spurs it might have been City or something I can't remember that was last season and I think Salah scored and he scored and so the social media person was next to me and he come and celebrated right in front of us. Like, I'm talking like two or three yards away. And she had it on the phone. She had the goal on the phone and that on the phone. And it looked unbelievable. Like, it really did. And that went out and that did well. So I, w- I would never frown on it. Like, but again, there's certain, like, there's a lot of limitations on it. Like, but it, again, so I'm going back to the original thing. If you want to start, start. And if you don't like it, just bin it off. But I would just, um, you, you're young enough to sort of do that. Do you know what I mean? But then it's like, yeah, I just if if you like something, you're passionate about something, you enjoy it, you take to it, like stick stick with it, like definitely. So, and I, I did want to touch on is that you mentioned there that if you capture a cinematic knockout, as you put it, um, on a on a camera, a, a decent piece of equipment that can be used by, I mean, you know, a multitude of, of high profile broadcasters as you were for their platforms or you know for whenever whenever they're sort of airing a program. One of the things I, I, I wanted to ask about is the sort of a, approach for YouTube content. One of the things that springs to mind that I've seen that you have you, you worked on No Filter before for BT Sport. Yeah. yeah. They, yeah. I, don't, I don't know whether it's a lens that they put over or the certain shot types that go for. There seems to be something particularly unique about that. I don't know whether it, like we were talking about before, whether it captures the personality of the subject a lot more. So, do you find that working for different broadcasters, they have different expectations for you, different, you know, or it depends on the assignment? Yeah. Yeah, the, the job will always be always be different. So, like, if you do, like, a sports news piece, like, they'll want, they won't want that to look, like, particularly cinematic. They'll just want it to sound good, be lit good, uh, and just capture what you need to capture, but, like, being in, like, an interview or something. But, like... For something like no filter, there's a real element of creativity that goes into that. Like you they want it to look and feel a certain way. Um, 
and you know you're shooting on like lower frame rates uh you're shooting slow motion in times uh the way you grade the footage will be different the way it'll have a more cinematic look to it uh it'll have a, clo a closer up feel it'll have just a, a bit more of a, um, a personal feel to it but you know a lot goes into those pieces actually because you you, you know it's generally going to be if you were doing a football match you'd have someone behind the goal You'd have someone behind both goals. You'll probably have someone in the stands. You'll have someone probably outside the ground. Like, there's a lot of resource. Like, you're probably looking at, like, a team of, like, six or seven to actually produce one of them. Um, but, yeah, the, 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 the design to sort of give you that feel that you wouldn't get on the TV. And, yeah, how you get that is mainly through, like, it's your, your shutter speed's a big one. Like, so, basically, the TV will shoot in 50, 50 frames per second you're shooting 25 so it'll give you that blurry feel you know like um it's like you'll see it in a movie it's like like most cinema uh, things you'll go and watch in the cinema 24 frames per second they give you a very like blurry sort of um dreamy look to like the footage you've got and that's essentially the look that they want to give for football um and you'll see it as well, like on it, like FIFA documentaries. If you ever watched anything like that, where like you see like Maradona and like like those sorts of documentaries, and you have like a pitch side stuff. It's all very similar, even back then. It was filmed in a very cinematic frame rate, and it looks amazing. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of like that. That's the feel. Yeah, to answer your question, like there's like different different clients on different things. Yeah, um, I mean sometimes like clients are always 100% sure even what they want as well do you know what I mean so there's, there's sometimes you've got to you know like a, yeah you've got to be a bit like sort of maybe suggest your sort of like views on things as well that that can that can happen and um, they know they want something good they want no they want like sort of look cinematic but they're not always 100% sure exactly what they want um but yeah like different it's all it's always it's always different for different different clients really generally Thank you for sharing that. I've certainly, sort of opened my eyes a lot, a lot more. Um, especially in regard to the frames per second, I can definitely understand now when you watch the likes of a no filter how it differs from, you know, a, a Sky Sky Sports News broadcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, and that is that is the main difference. And also, you're just shooting from different angles. You know, like a, a Sky Sports would be like up at the stands, and it'd be a sort of like you know wide view, traditional sort of uh, angles. But then. You know, they're now even introducing like different angles, and you'll probably notice like you've got guys on like gimbals like shooting in uh, low aperture, which will which will really blur out the background. So I don't know whether you've seen any of those shots, particularly in the World Cup, where like the teams are in the tunnel and they look really cinematic, like they look night and day from what you see on the on the end cameras, which are the broadcast cameras. Like you're like when you see it, like it almost like you're like wow, that looks amazing. Yeah, I'm, um, so, yeah, so they're trying to even move. Say, they're trying to move. La Liga were one of the sort of trailblazers in, in do. I'm sure it was La Liga TV or something like that that first introduced that sort of shot where it was, you know, the focus was so intense and it was a, a blurry background. But yeah, yeah, so, yeah, sorry to cut you off. No, and, and that's kind of like so they 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 favour that look and they they want more of that look. Um. So so yeah, but again, it just it just it just varies a lot, you know. No. Definitely, I, I've I've found this conversation as a as a whole really insightful, Chris. I mean, I've I've got a, a couple more questions before we wrap up. But thank you so much for all this advice that you share, man. It is it's really valuable. In terms no, of it's a, 
it's it's all good. I think you know, from my perspective, you sort of like forget what like you've learned sometimes, and like how kind of far you you've you've come with it. Do you know what I mean? It's not until you start talking about it, you think, oh, you know, you you start taking stuff for granted. Like you start taking the things you know for granted. You start thinking like you know. Maybe everyone knows that, but they don't. It's just like you just pick different different things up. I mean, there's things about like your podcast and that that people you'll just assume everyone knows how to do a podcast, and most people haven't got a clue how to do a podcast. They wouldn't allow us to start that microphone you've got. They're just like, what the hell is that? <laughs> so it's like it's just little things like you don't realize how much you're actually picking up sometimes until like if you actually stop and think about it, or someone asks you about it. Do you know what I mean? So. Yeah, no, I'm happy to share it. Like, you know what I mean? Definitely. Uh, on that topic of, of self-reflection, uh, this isn't to say that you'll go on to to shoot something that you'll consider your new best thing that you shot. But if you were to reflect now on what you've done up to date, what's the fav- your favourite thing that you've shot or your favourite experience in your career so far? So the be- the be- actually the best thing I shot was just before Christmas, the be- best knockout I've ever filmed in my life. Uh, and uh, you know what, half it's down to look. So, like, I was just there at the right time. There's a guy called Adam Azim, who's a sky fighter, and I was just there right at the right time. The knock, the, the, he threw the shot right in front, so I was positioned in the right spot, and the guy uh, got knocked out and then fell through the ropes towards me. He, he didn't come out the ring, thankfully, but, like, he, he basically fell into the ropes where I was standing, and then he comes back. And then I managed to pull me focus, so push me focus back onto the Adam who went went and done like a somersault. But it was like it's just that was the best thing. I like I look at that and I think fucking hell, that's a good shot. That you know what I mean. But like it was just sometimes that's just luck, like the fact that I was there. Obviously, when it happened, I was I was able to pull the focus and use my experience to make sure I got the shot when it was presented to me. But like you know, if it was like ten yards further down the ring, like I wouldn't have got that shot. So sometimes just a bit of a bit of luck. That's probably the favourite shot I've got. What's my favourite experience? Um, I'm trying to think. Like I mean, I guess it was probably like one of the first big shows I went to. Uh, I think it was Carl, Carl, one of Carl Frampton's fights in Belfast, and it was just like, boss. I was like, oh, oh my ear, like this is brilliant. I'd paid to come here mm-hmm. myself, you know, when I'm here. Um, that, that was like really sort of like I know those early days like you never get those early days back when you sort of like grind and I'm very you're dead naive to stuff and you're trying to like figure it all out and that's definitely the best time you know in my experience like because you just you like don't have any expectations on yourself everything you learn is new every experience is like heightened and that, that, that would say that it's the best time those like when you're learning and you're really out there like Obviously, when like, you sort of establish yourself on that, like, you just become a bit more like everyone's a bit more like pragmatic and like you're used to it a bit more and a bit more pressure to like you know get the, the financials right with your, like your own business and all that shit. Like, but as I say, the early sort of days, like we're going to those like Carl Frampton shows and that, like we did one in Windsor Park and that was mad. It was just like, and I ended up filming uh, the ring walk, so I was in. I was in the changing room, Tyson Fury, Carl Frampton, Ricky Atten, and then I was behind them for the ring walk. And I remember just thinking, how am I here? And that, that was like a really good experience. So like stuff like that, you know what I mean? But um, 
yeah, it's 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 possibly I say that's like the, the highlight of like you know working in sport. You get you get those experiences of you know being in part of those events, and you can't you can't beat it in my opinion. Like, oh, I, I would say as well. I mean, I, I guess I'll find out as I get older. But the, that sense of novelty is so valuable when you're early on in your career. That I think that's what gives it that sense of fucking hell. This is unbelievable. Yeah. And you don't appreciate it at the time, but then it's just like looking back, like that year, every, like everything I did was new. You know what I mean? And like everything was like, and, you, and it was accelerating fast as well. So it was like, yeah, but it, it's just, uh, yeah, you got to take a moment for those things. That, I'd just say that's, that's, that's the best thing. Like, but it's a, you're, you're quite young, aren't you? And, and you're, you're, obviously, you're starting your career and stuff. And But I know what you mean, like when you were saying, oh, like, what? exactly want to do which way you want to 100 commit to that's a that's a it's a bloody nightmare in it when like your head's in that in that sort of space it's, it's good in a lot of ways because it's it's exciting but it can be quite overwhelming as well like to be like oh should i do this and should i do that and i i haven't even now like what what sort of like projects should i like ahead towards or what should i try and get involved in should i try and do this should the time should I do more like documentaries to do more live streaming should I like stick with like, the events and should I try and get a bigger team and all these sorts of things you're like you know, what what wants to you're always going to have options in front of you but um, I think the book was important thing is like try and stick to, to one because the easiest thing to do is like I think anyway like where like you might you might say oh, I'll do this for a bit and then gets a little bit hard and then you go oh, I'll, I'll try something else now like you've always, if you don't, if you don't stick with something and push through like all your failures and all your setbacks, you'll just never learn it. And I think too many people like just half like half half you a bit too quick, you know what I mean? And you just gotta stick with it. Like, but I say I, I had a I had a podcast at one point myself, <clears throat> say TFT. And like I just I just in the end found it's like too much work, but I I, I, I so get like the benefits of doing this and sticking with it like. And it's uh, but like if I had to stick with stuff with that, you know what I mean? I'd have been, I'd have had something like quite, quite reasonable now, you know what I mean? But it is what it is. But it's um, yeah, you gotta kind of stick with stuff, you know, even when you, you know, it starts wobbling a little bit, you know. Definitely, mate, one hundred percent. And I mean, I'll, I'll mention, I'll talk to you a little bit about the world of podcast, and once we finish recording, because there is something that I, I do want to mention to you. But to to round off the podcast. You touched on it a little bit there, but if I was to put you on the spot and say, if there's one piece of advice or rule of thumb that you've stuck by for your career that you would pass on to others who are earlier on in their careers wanting to break into the industry, what would that be? This it just sounds dead easy, this, but and it's not it's not an easy thing to do, but like it is just simplify it really, just have a goal. Uh, stick to that and then just just work to it. Try and plan backwards of like what you want to achieve, where you want to go, and just just work towards it and follow like your passion. That's all I'd say. But again, it just it sounds like oh yeah, just do that, just do that. Like it's that easy. It's, it's not really. Because you always like have different things that come up, whether like professional things or personal things. But I just say follow follow sort of your your dreams and don't like. Don't get caught into like this world of like, you know, normality, and that's because I sort of fell for that trap. Do you know what I mean? Early doors of like, 
you know, coming out of uni, what do you now do? You go into a corporate job. And that was literally like my way of thinking. And I'm not like knocking anyone who thinks like, it's just like, I think lots of people who go to uni think like that. It's just like, yeah, we'll get the corporate job, we'll go and work for a bank or we'll go and do this or we'll go and like get on a graduate scheme. And before you know, you're in this sort of cycle of like, just earning and working and nine to five. And it, it it's hard to sort of stay away from that, especially when you maybe see people earning and you're not earning. Because initially, like, and you, you'll know yourself when you start, and like things, you, you, you do a lot of things, you do things for free sometimes, you know what I mean? And it's like, you're just doing it for like the opportunity when you might see like someone else who you graduated with now earning like X amount and you're like, fucking hell, you know what I mean? I could do with some of that. But it's like, you've just got to stick with it. Um, yeah, and don't under, you know what another thing don't undersell don't undervalue yourself. That's something I see a lot of people undervaluing what they bring to the table and doing things for too cheap. Just like know what you know what you you're capable of, know what you bring, and have confidence in that, and um, that'll really help you like build a business. But that's again going back to like being a freelancer, learning how to be a freelancer. Just like yeah, and dealing with the ups and downs of that. You know, so it's like there's a, there's a, there's a lot of things to sort of take take on, but I would just say yeah, just find something that you're passionate about and stick with it, and it'll it'll, it'll I I believe it will work out if you do that, regardless. So, Chris, I have loved this conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to speak to me, man. I've, I've, no, that's all right. Really good. It's been good. Um, as as I've mentioned to you, mate, there's, there's something unique and very valuable to me to have for having the opportunity to sit down and talk to people that are like-minded. Um, I'm sure you can agree. There's not there's not very many people that you come across where you've you've got sort of common hobbies, common interests, and have a a similar vision almost. So, and even the differences are interesting to hear from because they only add to your vision and, and how you think these things and as I mentioned or you're always learning from things so I, I, even throughout this com- this conversation I've learned so much and as I say I can, I'm very grateful for that and you're more than welcome to come onto the podcast in the future yeah no, I appreciate it and as I say it, it is good to, to be around certain people because I think like you know you, you'll have like friends or whatever that will um you know, see what you do or see you in certain places and, and, and or like you like your missus or whatever, like, and they'll think you're on a jolly, do you know what I mean? It's like, you think you're having fun doing these things and it's, it's sometimes like, not always like that, but it's good like, you know, to, to speak to people who are like on that mindset and understand what it, it's like to sort of be in certain situations and yeah, because it, it's quite unique being being in, in this sort of environment. So yeah, it is it is good to reach out and uh, nice one for reaching out and it's, uh, it's good for the, uh, also, after chat, I've enjoyed it. My pleasure. Thank you, Chris. Nice one, lad.